you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. Now listen, church, we're going we're gonna to jump back into our teaching here on spiritual mediocrity. Amen. So spiritual mediocrity, which many times comes from spiritual adolescence or spirit, spiritual immaturity. But we're here in, in Revelations chapter 3 which is, a, which is a, uh, some wonderful, wonderful scriptures here, wonderful warnings that the Lord has for us and is dealing with the, with the, with the church of Laodicea. Now listen, as we, as we have been begun to teach on these things, I hope some things have been opened up in your, in your spiritual thought life as we're reading these, that this is not just dealing with an age of a church that we are in, an age of a church that's mediocre or a, ch- or a church that's lukewarm. I mean, yes, Yes, it seems like there probably are probably more lukewarm churches right now than there ever has been, but I don't know. I mean, they say the church was pretty bad during, during the Dark Ages. That's why it was called the Dark Ages. Amen. But it's not just about an age that we're in. No, it's Jesus beginning to look specifically at the churches, specifically at his people, specifically at Laodicea, but not just Laodicea, because he says, you know, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. Right, because he's not just speaking to Laodicea or Ephesus or any of these other churches. No, he's speaking to Island Church too. Amen. That may not be a, a firm rebuke like it is here, but it could be a strong warning. Amen. That he's given to our church and, the, and to the different churches that are around us, right? Because see, Jesus unveils here. He said, Listen, I'm talking to you at church at Laodicea. Listen, you've lost the fire. Right, you've you've lost your fire. You've lost your refreshingness. You've 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 lost your anointing. And I'm calling you back. I'm I'm calling you. I'm urging you to come back to the place where you can be who I've called you to be. You see, you can go back, as we said before, you can go back to the church of Ephesus here, right? And remember, the church of Ephesus, it was a people that, that were doing great things for the kingdom. But the Lord said, listen, you're doing some amazing things, and, I, and I'm praising you for that. He says, but you're doing it without your first love. You're, you're beginning to do it, to, to, to carry it on your own shoulders. He says, I'm calling you to a place of repentance, right? Why? Because if you don't, he goes, I'm going to remove your candlestick out of the way. I'm going to remove your anointing off of you. Why? Because if I keep it on you, it's going to crush you. It's going to kill you. Right now, this church here at Laodicea, it's not where Ephesus is. It's walked all the way past it. It's a church that's, that the, its anointing's already been removed, it's already been removed, and, and Jesus is beginning to come to this church with a rebuke, you know, calling them back. Amen. Calling them back. You say, well, how, how in the world did they lose their anointing? Listen, they got, they, just like many of the churches today, listen, they, they begun to allow their eyes to lust over the worldly comforts, over the carnal desires that this, that this world has. They begin to, just like we're talking in our giving scripture, they begin to, to trust in their own wealth and their own riches, their, 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 their own way that they've made, and they have stopped putting their faith and trust in him. And they really got themselves in a bad position, church. This is one of the most dangerous places we can be as a church. We begin to put our faith and trust in ourselves, put our faith and trust in what God's placed in our hand instead of putting our faith and trust in him, the giver of all these things. That's a, that's a bad place to be. This is the snare that the adversary is setting out. This is a snare that he's put especially in the church of the West. 
So I don't mind. I don't mind God blessing you. I don't mind these things happening because I'm trying to, he's wanting to put a snare, a trap and lure you into it to where, oh, I don't know if I can do that because it may affect my finances. It may affect this. It may affect that. Now, he, Jesus is trying to get, get, pull this church out of that snare to where they're more confident in the things they have than in him. Whew. Than in him themselves. And who, church, we don't want to be, we, don't, we will not, we refuse amen, to be one of those people. We have to. But we got to be diligent. We got to be. Um, we got to be intentional about everything we do. We got to be intentional about seeking Him. Right now, if you remember, the Lord gave a rebuke to every church of these seven letters. He rebuked every single one of them except for two. He only had praises for the things that they were doing because of their posture of their heart. But there was one church. He did not give any praises at all. He only gave them a, a, a firm rebuke. Why? Because there wasn't anything he could praise them for. He gave them a rebuke. Now on the backside, that he gave them encouragement. Say, listen, I'm going to rebuke you. Why? Because I need your heart right. But, but here's an encouragement on how you can get back on the path that, that I've called you to. You, you know, you, you know, people say, well, why, why would he only rebuke a church? I mean, that's, man, that's so mean. I mean, why couldn't Jesus be nice? Why, why did he have to give a rebuke? Listen, church, it's because he loved them. It's because he loved them. You don't know where we, we get this, this place or this notion today in the church that, that, that rebukes come from people that, that, are, that are, you know, domineering or, or people that have to have things their way. I mean, it's like when Jesus or when spiritual leaders give a rebuke or correction, it doesn't mean that, that leaders are mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus is mean. It doesn't mean that they're overbearing. It doesn't mean that they're not walking in love. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, church. Listen, and listen, this is a secret that the church has got to grab a hold of. Listen, if a leader a spiritual leader in your life does not, uh, that will not give you correction or give you rebuke when he sees you going down a path of destruction, a path that's going to harm you, a path that may lead to death, a path that you're, that you're going to head off the end of the cliff and he doesn't stop you by trying to correct you. He doesn't love you. He loves himself. He doesn't love you, he loves himself. Why is that? Because he does, he'd rather see you go off the cliff. He'd rather see death come upon you than you walk away from him. Than you, than you, than you lose favor with him. Than you and your company lose favor. I'm going to tell you something, church. Walk away from that type of leadership. They don't have your interests at heart. They have their own personal gain at heart. Amen. True leadership. Amen. Confronts things that aren't right. Jesus is our example. He's true leadership. He will confront things that aren't right. Why? Because he loves them. He doesn't want them to see them get harmed. He wants to see good things for them. It's like Jesus here in, in verse 19 of this, of this same chapter. He says, listen, as many as I love, I rebuke. Not as many as I hate. No, the ones that I love. I rebuke them. I chasten them. I train them up. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous, therefore. Why? Because I love you so much. This is why I'm correcting you. Don't run away. Be zealous and repent of the things that I'm asking you to do. Amen? Now, because of his deep love for the church here, 
because of his deep love for the church, you'll see in the days to come, yeah, he, give, he definitely gives a firm rebuke to him, but he does give an encouragement. He says, listen, here's an encouragement. And listen, get your gaze back on me. This is how you get back on the narrow path. And he's, and he's trying to lead them down the paths of righteousness. But, but listen, church, Jesus, although he will give us the ability to get back, although he leads us down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, he cannot fix your path. He leads you to allow you to fix your path when you get off. But you've got to make the choice to, to fix it. You've got to make the choice to follow him. He is the shepherd. He leads. We have got to follow. And this is what he's doing in the church. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. Here's a firm rebuke. Now follow me. I'm going to lead you down the path you need to go, but you're going to have to follow me. I'm not going to force you to do it. Follow me. For I got good things for you. I love you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not scolding you. I'm not trying to beat you. I'm not trying to punish you. No, 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 no. I'm trying to get you down the paths of righteousness. Amen. So you can, be, you can begin to walk with me, right? So here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Unto the angel at the church at Laodicea, he goes, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the, the beginning of the creation of God. I love that. He says, Unto the angel. He doesn't say to the angels. It's not to the group of the leaders of this church. No, it is to the leader. It's to the pastor it's the, or the apostle or the, or, the, or the overseer or the bishop or the, or the senior elder of the church, the one that I have placed in position to lead. He says, I'm coming to you because I'm holding you accountable for the direction your church has gone. He says, and to the angel at the church at Laodicea, he says, write these things. Now, I'll, I'll refresh you on this because, number one, just because I, lo I love hearing about it. I, I love this word, ecclesia, that the Lord has given for the church. It's such a powerful word that we as the body of Christ, if you'll, just, if you'll just understand what Jesus was revealing to us when he called you the ecclesia, listen, it'll, cha it'll change your whole life. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, well ecclesia comes from the, the two different Greek words. One is ek and one is kaleo. And it literally means to be the called out ones. The called out ones. It was a secular term that was used in the Roman Empire, specifically Athens, Greece, to where they had a group of people. They had some, uh, some civilians. They had some citizens there that were called out of the group of the people of the city to where they could lead, amen? They could, they could lead, they could, they could pass laws, they could ratify laws, they could change boundaries, all depending on how the culture of that city was moving. They could begin to shift things. I mean, and Jesus sees that and he says, listen, this is what I'm calling my body. He says, I'm calling my body the ecclesia. Why? Because we ought to understand what that meant. What does it mean? He says, I'm calling you the called out ones. You're the ones that, that are in a city that, that, that have been called out. Why? Because you, you have my presence. You, you have me. You're in union with me. So I'm calling you out to do what? to be the leader, to be the ones that, that are governing body that have the ability to change the spiritual climate of the cities, of the communities, of the nations that you're in. You're not just an island church. You're not just a church that's sitting here. Woohoo! let's go meet on Sunday. You know, maybe we'll maybe be warm in the... No, 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 no. 
You are a called out group of people that Jesus is entrusting to change dairy. That's why you stop fighting against the church, get hooked up with what God's trying to get you to do. Why? Because we, we have a calling, we have a destiny, we have a job that He expects to get done. He says, you're the called out ones. I need you to change the spiritual climate. Why? Because when you change the spiritual climate of, your, of the place you're at, then you can begin to change the natural. I mean, but you've got to change the spiritual climate first, and then the the natural climate begins to change, and then the, then, the, then the governments begin to change. But we got to allow those things to happen first, amen? You say, well, what does that mean? How do you actually change a spiritual climate? Yes, so we got to be a people that come back to a posture of prayer. Let me say that again. We have got to be a people that come back to the posture of being a prayerful people that are coming in union with Him in our own time, daily, amen, and corporately as the church, as this ecclesia. We have got to be people of prayer. Why? Because prayer works. Prayer works. Amen. Prayer works. It doesn't change Him. It changes you. I mean, you can get hooked up with his desire and you can become what he's asking you to do. I mean, does it not blow you away that we have a God, the creator of this universe? He came down here to this earth. He took back the authority that was given over to him by Adam and Eve to Satan. He, he destroyed him and took this authority. But he didn't just keep this authority on his own. On his own. He didn't just keep and say, you know what, man, you failed. I'm going to keep all this authority. Because the Bible says what all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Right? He didn't just say, oh, I'm going to put this in my back pocket because you messed it up, Barry. You ain't going to get another shot. You know what he said? No, 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 no. He said, all authority has been given me. Now go as my ecclesia. Now, now I am putting you in charge. We got a God, oh my Lord, can you, I mean, I don't know if I'm explaining this well enough. We have a God that desires, so he, 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 he puts so much value on union that he says, I'm giving you back authority. Amen, I'm giving you back authority. Why? So that you need to begin to pray. You need to begin to request things. You need to begin to speak. And when you begin to do these things, I'll begin to work with you. I'll work with you. He loves us so much. He wants to work with us. He could do it all on his own, but he wants to work with us. That's why he gave us the authority. Hmm? Now he's tied to us. Now he's tied to us. That's why, that's why I love that, I love that, um, that, that phrase, that, that statement that, um, that John Wesley made. He says, it seems that God will do nothing. Outside of, outside of a believing prayer, outside of people that are, that are believing in faith and begin to release their words up to him. And because this is how God wants to work with you. It's not him versus you. No, it's him with you. You with him. Maybe that's the best way of phrasing that. It's about you, you being with him. Amen. We need, we need to jump back into these things. So what does that mean? Listen, don't get mad if God wakes you up in the middle of the night and starts putting people on your heart, starts putting cities on your heart. Don't get, don't get irritated with him when you're trying to watch a, a television program and, and things just keep on bubbling up in your spirit. No, 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 no. Take the time to begin to pray. Seek his face out. Begin to pray for those people. Pray for those cities. Pray for Israel. Pray for whatever he's stirring up on the inside of you. Amen. Why? Because he trusts you enough to come to you. 
He trusts you enough to come to you and say, listen, I know, I know, I know I can, I can come to you. I know I can come to Pam. I, I, I know I can come to Joel and Dolly. I, I know I can come to Shola. I, I know I, if I wake him up, he's going to put his mouth on things, and I'm going to get to work. And I'm going to get to work. I'm telling you, that's amazing. That's an amazing relationship that God has brought us into. See, not only does God desire us to be in this place of union and prayer with him, that we can begin to change things as the called out ones, that we, can, we, can't, can, we can't change by ourselves. You can't do it. You can only do it within union with him. It's not only just that. But we're in, we come into a consistent place of prayer. Church, this is where you get your marching orders. It amazes me how many people in the church nowadays, they, they have no clue what they're doing or where they're going or what God has for them. It's a product of their lack of prayer life. Because when we get in that, that, that posture of prayer, listen, you, you, you know where he's leading you. You know the direction that he has for you. And you don't back off on it. I mean, we don't back off on it. Why? Because we're not. Hmm. <laughs> we're not called only to be prayers, people who pray, are called to be people who do. But for us to be people that do, we got to know where he's leading us to do. And we get that in our posture of prayer. You know, we've been praying for Israel, and we've been praying for the Palestinians quite a bit here lately in this house. You know, if we begin to, to pray for these people, you know, yes, it unleashes you know, the ability for, for, for God to be able to send forth his angels to protect and, and to send out ministers, to send out laborers, even to send out finances. Amen, to go help, to go help these areas, right? But see, as we, as we posture ourselves in prayer, listen, you'll begin to, he'll begin to start speaking to you. Maybe, maybe some of us, it may not be just a, a place of prayer and him releasing someone else. It may be a place that he's calling you. I need you to go minister. I need you to go speak. I need you to go do something. Maybe it's I need you to send finances, something I've entrusted you with. I need you to send something. But we get those marching orders from the posture of prayer, amen? It says, so under the angel at the church or the ecclesia of Laodicea, he goes, write these things, say the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I, I love that. I love who Jesus unveils himself to be. Jesus is more or less saying it like this. Listen, you pay attention to me here. You pay attention. Why? Because I am the amen. I am the final word in all things. I, I am the one who's worthy of trust. I am the one who, is, who has given my life as an eyewitness of count that you are the beloved of God. He says, I am the beginning of all things. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus is calling his people to attention. He's like, he's like one, of the, you know, one of the old teachers of, the, of back in the day, right? They used to have the big yardstick in their hand, you know, tapping. Hey, pay attention. Stop talking. Stop talking. Don't let your mind wander. Why? Because your God is speaking. Your Messiah, He's speaking. The Christ, He's speaking. Your Master, He's speaking. And I have something you need to hear. So pay attention. Pay attention. 
says what? Pay attention to what? Here in verse 15. He says, I know your works. I know your works. That you're neither cold nor hot. He goes, I were that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold or hot, I'm going to spit you, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's a strong statement from our God. Let me start off with this. He says, he says I know your works. Now we, now we talk about knowing a lot in this house, amen. It's a, it's a foundational truth. Now that knowing we talk about in here is the Greek word gnosko, and it means to have an intimate knowledge of someone or something, not just reading after someone, but it's intimate like how you are with your friends. It's intimate how you are with your husband and a wife. It's, it's an intimacy that you know things that no one else, listen, church, I know things about my wife you will never know. I've seen things I'm like, you will never see. Why? Because there's a level of intimacy there that you can't step into. Right? That's that Greek word gnosko. That, that's not the word he's using here. And this is the, the Greek word oida. Right? And this means to have a personal knowledge of someone or something. Kind of like I have personal knowledge of some of my favorite football players or I have personal knowledge of, of nations. I have personal knowledge because of things I've studied or because I've visited and I've seen things and i got an eyewitness account. I have knowledge, of, but, but I'm not intimate with them. You know, I don't know them on that level, but I know them. I know about them, right? Now, G, this is what Jesus is saying here. Listen, I, I know. He says, I know your works. I know your works, that you're neither hot or cold. He says, I know. I've, I've personally come into your church. He says, I've stepped into your church. I've walked among your church. I'm not listening to a prayer from a saint. I'm not listening to an angel that's come and spoke to me about what's going on there. No, I personally have gone into your church. I've listened and I've measured the spiritual climate there. I've taken notes on what's going on here. And this is my report to you. This is what I have to say about you. This is what Jesus is saying. I know exactly, I personally know exactly. Listen, here's, here's my notes. I know what's going on. Now listen, listen, listen to this. Now that, I don't know about you, that, that can be a very scary place to be if you think you can hide anything from Jesus. Amen. If you think you can hide something from that, well, that, ooh, you know, he, he actually comes and he's taking notes. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Hmm? He does. That shouldn't be a scary place for us to be. Amen. It's, it can also be a positive place for us, for us to be too on the other, on the flip side of that coin. Say, why is that? Because even in our good and our bad, listen, Jesus comes. Jesus comes, he, he desires, he's searching after you, even in the good and the bad where we're at, he, he's coming. You say, is that good that God is watching us? Even that he shows up even when things are bad, even when I'm yelling at my wife, even when something like that, Jesus will show up and he's taking notes. Of, yes, yes, that's good. That's good. You say, why is that? Because just as a good father, when their children make a mistake and they do something stupid, you don't kick them to the curb. You don't remove them from your inheritance. You don't, you don't say, nope, you're not mine anymore. You're no longer a son of mine, Jetta. No, you rebuke them because you love them. And you try to get them back on the right path. 
right? But you don't kick them away. That's not love. That's the world's love. Amen. But God's love is this, and I, I love you even, even, even when things are right. I'm coming. I'm coming, and I want why? Because I desire to get you. Thing, I, get, I desire to get you in the right direction. And I'm thankful, my God. Even though as embarrassing as it can be, has seen me when things aren't right, in ministry and in personal life. He's seen things, and he and he can come, and he has the ability to come and speak into my life and say, "Listen, this needs to change, son. This needs to change." That's a good place to be. Why? Because if we honor and we can love him enough, church. Let me put it like this. If we can value him the way he needs to be valued, we will allow his perfection to come in and consume our imperfection. But we got to place enough value on him to do that, to allow him to come in and pursue or consume, to burn up your imperfections and your mistakes. Hmm? We got to allow him to do it, though. He says, I know what you're doing. Here's my report. My report of you is I, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish that you were either hot or you were cold. This is I, w- I wish or I would, you know, that you, that you were hot or that you, that you were cold. Now, I don't know about you. But if Jesus came in and said, I'm, I'm about to reveal the spiritual climate of Island Church, I wish that you were hot or cold. Listen, that would, that would definitely get my attention. But as he's talking to Laodicea, he goes, listen, I would that you're or hot or cold. No. Yeah, I'll go that direction, Lord. This used to confuse me a lot when I read this, you know, especially as a younger Christian and, and as, you, as you hear a lot of different ministers minister on this. And listen, I've even ministered from it from this, this, this fashion as well. That it's like, man, I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot. I wish you were, you were hot, fervent, lit on fire for the things of God or I wish you were you know, away from the things of God. But then he says, but, but since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. Why, why, in the world, why in the world would God ever wish that we're either hot or that we're away from him? He doesn't want anyone away from him. He doesn't want anyone so cold and apathetic that they're not, that they're not with him. That doesn't even make sense, church. Amen. But most of the church begins to preach these things. Listen, even, even in the Passion Translation, listen, I love the Passion Translation, but I'm not saying that everything is translated correctly in it. I mean, he says this in, in verse 15 and 16. He says, he says, I know all that you do. He goes, I know that you're neither frozen in apathy nor you're fervent in passion. He goes, how I wish you were either one or the other, but because you're neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm. He goes, I'm about to spit you out of our mouth. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, listen, he's not saying, listen, I wish, Claire, man, I wish you're not on fire. I wish you were just cold as ice. There was nothing in you. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I wish you were apathetic. No, it'd actually be better if we had a little bit in us, you know, maybe backslidden a little bit, but at least we still have God on the inside. No, he, that'd be a lot better than being completely cold. Amen. But, but at least from this translation, you can understand what the, what the meaning of hot and cold is. You know, this, this, this hot is not just something that's warm. It's a fervent heat. It's a boiling over hot. It's a fervency like most people would teach. But the cold, it's not, it's not an ice-cold apathy. It's something that's freezing cold, kind of like, like, you know, like a very ice-cold drink with loads of ice in it. 
amen, like you'd get if you go over to America, right? That, that's, that's freezing as you, as you go and take a drink of it. This is what I said. Listen, I wish you were either hot or you are ice freezing cold. Now you say, well, well, what, well, what is the true meaning of this if it's not what we've normally heard? Well, if you'll go back into history, church, you can understand some of the things that Jesus was unveiling to these churches. I mean, I think this was me and Dolly talking about this uh, last night. Listen, you know, some of the things that we didn't like back in the day with history. Listen, I've fallen in love with history now. Why? Because, because the Lord can teach us a whole lot about history. Learn, tr- learn, study the history of the church. Study our forefathers. Study, study where we are and where we need to be heading back to. Amen. And then we need to keep you off of these crazy paths that churches are on nowadays. It'll keep you out of the social church. Amen. It'll keep you on a lit, a church that's lit on fire or ice cold. Amen. So he says, so listen, if you go back into history, let me give you a little bit. I, I talked a little bit about this last week, but maybe this will make sense to you today. If you go back in history and you look at the church at Laodicea, if you remember, this is a, this, these churches, they were, they, were, they were in a circle over there in western Turkey right, on, on Asia Minor, if you will, and it was called the Roman Postal Road. It was just a road, and it had, it had Ephesus, and it had the, the several different churches, right, and they came back to Laodicea right before, right before you get back to Ephesus, and the interesting thing about Laodicea is, remember, it was a wealthy, wealthy city. It had two of everything, it had twice the amount of shops that all the other cities had. It had, it had twice the you know, sports complexes. You know, most, most places were lucky if they had one. They had two. It had two auditoriums. It was a wealthy city. Amen. But it was known, primarily known for two things. Amen. Yes, it had a great medical district, but it was primarily known for two things. One, it was wealthy. Number two, it had a an failed experiment that came into the city, amen, that brought a little taint, amen, into, into their reputation. You say, well, what was this failed experiment? Well, they desired to have hot and cold water come into their cities, right? They wanted hot and cold water to come into their city, which, which, which is pretty amazing. It's pretty ingenious. It's, it's very innovative, for that day. You say, why is that? Because listen, they didn't have refrigerators like we have. They didn't have uh, boilers. They didn't have modern plumbing that we have. So this is, this is something very innovative during these days, right? It not only was innovative, but it would have been a show of, of their wealth, of how luxurious they actually are. So what do they do? They look at this. They say, listen, there's a, a church in Hierapolis, right? There's a city, I guess I should say, there's a city in Hierapolis, there's a city below them called Colossae. Now, I say church because there's a church in each of these cities. They're all in the Lycus Valley, right? And there was a man that planted all three of them. His name was Epaphras. He was a guy that came out of, he came out of the, the revival that was going on in Ephesus, went down to Laodicea, planted a church, went up to Hierapolis, and went down to Colossae. He, he planted these churches. You know, Paul even writes a, a letter to, to the church at, at Colossae, the, the book of Colossians, and he never was there, but he knew Epaphras. He knew him very well. And he knew people in that church. Why? Because they came out of Ephesus. They came out of, out, of, out of that revival that was going on in Ephesus. But what the main thing about the city is, if you put Laodicea in the middle, 11 miles north of it, you had Hierapolis. Hierapolis had these hot springs. Do you remember? 
had these hot springs that people would come to these hot springs. They'd want to soak in these hot springs. They'd want to drink out of these hot springs. I mean, we, we've heard of these things like, like in Bath there in England and different places. People would always want to go to these places. Like I said, it had, with all the minerals there, it had healing, healing capabilities in it. You know, they wanted to drink it. Why? Because it was good for them, right? And then you had south of Laodicea, about 10 miles, Colossae. Now, it was a, a place that was known as a holiday place. It, it was a place that was very refreshing. Why? Because it had the cold waters of the mountains came and flowed through this city. Amen. So people go there because it gets hot in the Middle East. It gets hot in Turkey. I mean, it gets hot there. So when people go to this area, they'd be, you know, say 40, 45 degrees. They'd, they'd go over to this place and they'd get refreshed because of the cool air coming off all this cool water. You can drink the water. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going and swimming in the sea. I don't know what it is, but even like during this summer when it was 20, 25 degrees, there's something so invigorating about getting out in that freezing water out there. I mean, you get out after about 30 minutes or so, and you feel like you can take on the world. There's something so refreshing about it, it makes your body alive, right? I mean, it's like I have some mates, some of our close mates back in the state, our closest friends probably back in the States, they, they're, they're moving house. And one of the main things they're looking for is a, is a house that has a pool. Why they have a pool where they're at now and they want a pool wherever they're going. You say, why is that? Because it is hot like hell in Texas. Amen. It gets, it gets very hot when it's hot like that, when it's 40 degrees or, or 35 degrees continually with no rain, no clouds, no nothing in the air. You would love to get in the pool in the afternoon and then you can get refreshed while, while you're in that water. I mean, you can look, go to Google Maps and just, just look at, at Texas. I mean, all you'll see is little pools in everyone's backyard. Why? Because, because it's refreshing and people like to be refreshed on it. Amen. People like to be refreshed, especially when things are hot. Amen. But listen, this, this, uh, so this, this, this city here at Laodicea, because of their wealth, they're like, man, I don't know if it's very fair that Hierapolis and Colossae, they get all these visitors coming there and they get all this attention. It'd be a great show of how wonderful we are if we can bring this hot and this cold water right into our doorstep. Now everyone will come to us because of how amazing we truly are. So what'd they do? They hired the best engineers around. So how can we get what they have here? They said, well, listen, this is what we'll do. We'll go up to Hierapolis and we'll dig a ditch all the way up to Hierapolis and we'll, we'll build these clay, clay pipes, amen, to, to funnel this water from Hierapolis all the way down to Laodicea. I mean, you can even go look now. You can see they, where they've uncovered these, these clay pipes that are in the ground. I mean, they had clay pipes. So what do they do? They'll pipe those springs straight down to Laodicea. And then we're going to go to the Colosseum, and then we're going to build these aqueducts. Any of y'all ever seen any of the Roman aqueducts? They, they, they built aqueducts going from Colosseum over, amen, to, to Laodicea. Why? So they could have the hot and they could have the cold water going back to their cities, amen, which is pretty amazing. Now, now, could you imagine the city back in these days? This would have been something absolutely amazing. People would have been ecstatic. I mean, people, you know, it may have taken, what, months or even maybe a couple years to, to build this, but people have been so excited. You know, when is it here? When is it here? When is it here? When is it here? And then when it finally, when the day finally come, amen, to, to turn on the taps, 
Just like we do in our cities here, something new opens up. What do they do? They bring the mayor, they bring the different people out, and they cut the ribbon, and it's such a big deal. There's a big celebration, and all the city wants to come around and gather. Well, that's what happened here. This was such a big feat that they all gathered together. Amen. The leadership of the town is sitting there. They're sitting there, and they're they're like, we are going to be the first to taste this amazing water that has been piped, and it's been aqueduct all over to our city. And now we are about to be well-known by everyone, more so than we already are. We're going to have the fame. We're going to have the glory. And when they turned on the taps, they took a hold of that water and put it to their mouth to take a drink of it. They vomited this water out of their mouth. They spit it out of their mouth. Why? Because it wasn't, it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't what they were expecting. You say, what does that mean? That means this hot medicinal water that was piped all the way down from Hierapolis this, uh, during this 11-mile journey, amen, it started picking up all the minerals off of these clay pipes that were coming down there. And not only did it lose its fervent heat to where it became lukewarm, it had a foul, putrid taste in it because of all the clay that got mixed in with it. And then now, now the refreshing water that got on the aqueducts, yeah, it may have been refreshing when it was up at a higher altitude, but when it came down to where Laodicea was and it had all that hot air blowing on it and blowing on it and blowing on it for uh, 10 miles into the city, what happened? It wasn't refreshingly cold anymore. It was just lukewarm water. It was lukewarm water, and they vomited it out of their mouth. They literally history tells us they literally spit the water out of their mouth when they went to taste it. Why? Because it wasn't refreshing. It wasn't medicinal anymore. It was putrid. It was foul. It was tempted. It was lukewarm. You could say it was mediocre, but it was a complete waste of time. It was a complete waste of time. It was a complete waste of a commitment. It was a complete waste of money. And it made Laodicea the laughing stock to the people that are around them. Right? So here in verse 15, he says, I know your works. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. He goes, I wish that, you were, that you're cold or hot. I, I wish more than anything in the world that you are cold or that you're hot. I know it's going to be a very difficult thing for you to do, but, but I'm calling you. This is where my faith is that you'll become cold and hot once again. He's not saying, I wish you were cold and apathetic cold and complacent, cold and not doing anything. No, he says, I wish you were cold, that you were refreshing once again to your community, that you were able to bring life into a dry and a weary environment. I wish that you were, you were refreshing. I'm telling you, Island Church, he's saying, listen, he says, don't get out of the posture you're in. He says, I need you to be refreshing into this dry and, and scolding hot city that I placed you in. I need you to be refreshing. You give my life into a place that's divided. You need to be a cup of refreshing to them, not something that's tepid. He says, I want you to be hot, not just cold. I want you to be hot. I want you to be so fervent in heat, boiling over because you've come into union with me that you will go into this city and you will be a healing agent into the city, a city that is full of adultery, full of, of alcoholics, full of people that have a suicide spirit, full of people that are depressed. I don't need you to talk bad about them. I need you to be a people that come in and heal them. 
but you're going to have to be fervent with me. You're going to have to be so overflowing and bubbling over with my presence for these things to begin to take place. Church, he says, listen, I'm calling you. You're the, you're, you're the, you're the called out ones. I'm sending you as the called out ones into an environment that's not very hospitable to you, a place that doesn't really like you, but I'm calling you to be a cup of refreshing to them. I'm calling you to be therapeutic to them. But you're not going to do it going to them like they are. You're going to have to do it so full of me that I begin to overflow and pour out myself into this dry and wounded and the sick environment that you're in. But this is your call. This is your call. He says, I wish that you're cold and hot. He said, listen, I, I know your works. And consequently, because I do know your works, I've measured, I've taken notes. And I'm here to reveal to you, you're not, you're not refreshing at all. You're not healing at all. No, you're mediocre. You're tepid, you're apathetic, you're valueless. That's a strong statement from the Lord. You know, if any of you had a cup of tea, I don't know about you, but you know, I'll, I'll get back here and I'll get in my office and I'll begin to study and I'll, and I'll be freezing in my office when it, when, it, when it comes in there in the morning before I turn the heat on, I'll get a nice cup of, cup of tea and it's, and it's boiling hot, fervent with heat. And I'll sit down there and, you know, and I, I just put my hand on it. Why could you put your hand on it? It kind of keeps you warm, you know. And I sit there and I'll take a sip. And then, you know, I sit there and, I, and then I get stuck into the Word sometimes. And it may be an hour, an hour and a half, you know. And I'll look down and my hand's still on that cup of tea. And I, I mean, like, I go up to take a drink of it. Why? Because it's supposed to be keeping me warm, right? And it's been so tepid and lukewarm. I've actually spit it back in the, in the teacup. Like, oh, why? Because it wasn't what I was expecting didn't have any value. The value, its purpose that it was meant for, it's not fulfilling that anymore. I didn't want anymore. It's only good to get go down the sink. Amen. And fix yourself another cop. Amen. It's lost its value. And see, this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're rancid. Putrid, valueless. You've lost your value because you've lost your value. You say, well, Jesus really say that, that you've lost your value? Listen, church, he anointed this church. He anointed these people to be medicinal and healing and refreshing. And he said, I, take, I came down and I took a drink of you and you weren't what I expected. You weren't what I expected. I was expecting something refreshing and something healing. Oh. But I just spit you back out on the cup because you lost your value. You lost your anointing. Hmm? You lost your anointing. You're not what I intended you to be. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a disgusting example here of my own life so you can kind of understand what he's talking about here. You know, back when I was a heathen. And yeah, I remember, you know, back in Texas, see, in Texas, you know, people just don't smoke cigarettes, you know, they also chew tobacco, right? They'll, you know, so especially if you're in sports and stuff like that, people will chew tobacco, why? Because it doesn't affect your lungs when you're, when you're out there running, you can still do all those kinds of things. So a lot of baseball players and stuff like that, they would chew tobacco or chew snuff, as they call it. 
I can remember sitting, sitting around like with some of my mates. We're, we're sitting around, you know, I don't know, watching TV, watching film, doing something. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting around in, in an apartment of one of my mates and just sitting there hanging out, you know, and, and say we had a bunch of Coke sitting in the Coca-Cola sitting in the, in the, in, that we're having drinks of, right? And, you know, like in a, in a bottle of Coke, you know, it has like the clear bottom in the bit. Then it has the label to where you can't see anything, and then it's clear on top, right? So we're, we're sitting there, we're sitting there hanging out, sitting there, and I, I have a, a nice, beautiful, ice cold, halfway drank cup of, or bottle of Coke sitting there, right? And some of my mates are chewing tobacco, and they've drank their drink, right? And when they drink their drink, they're not going to spit on someone's carpet, so they start spitting in this, this bottle, Amen. Now, now, when you take a little glance over at a table and you see five different Coke bottles sitting there and they're all dark on the bottom, right? And you're like, oh, you, you don't think anything about it. You just glance over there. You think that one's yours. You grab a hold of it. And I can remember taking it to my mouth. And it's like, when it got to my lips, oh, dear Jesus, I knew I made a mistake. Not because of the taste. I couldn't taste it yet. It was because it was warm, and when it was warm, I was like, oh, that's not my Coke, you know. And then about that time, your taste buds get woken alive. And you know what I did? I spit it everywhere. Why? Because it was someone else's saliva, someone else's spit mixed with tobacco going in my mouth. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Amen. And this is what, this is what I see like Jesus. He's like, he's like, whew, I'm going I'm to go, come, I'm going to go grab a hold of this church, and I'm going to take a good drink of it. Oh, and when it hit his lips, he's like, oh, I done made a mistake. Ooh, that's not what I thought it was. That's not what I thought it was. And, it, and as soon as it hit, because it wasn't what he thought it was, it immediately vomited, immediately spit out of his mouth. Now listen, when I say these things, don't don't get these things confused like, like Jesus is saying, I'm going to spit you out. I'm taking your salvation away. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't give away your salvation. Oh, I ought to get a better amen than that. Jesus doesn't give away your, you, know, you can give it away. But Jesus isn't giving away what he gave up everything for. He doesn't, he doesn't give it away. He's not looking for a reason to get rid of you. No, he's doing everything he can to keep you. Amen. It's not that he's saying, I'm going to get rid of you or you're going to lose your salvation on these things. I mean, go, go, to, go to verse 20 of here and you'll see that Jesus is saying, listen, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. Are you hearing? I'm knocking. I'm knocking. Are you hearing? You know, he's not running away from the church. No, he's running to them, trying to get them corrected. Right? He's not discarding us as a family. But he has desire for us to get back what he's anointed us to do. I mean, I know the scriptures tell us that his gifting and his callings are without repentance. It means it doesn't matter you messed up. You're still called. I don't know how many pastors I've had to minister this to. It doesn't matter. You don't know what I did. I don't care what you did. You're still called. Now, you may have lost the, the window of opportunity where you were at. Amen. But you're still called. You better get your life right. Get yourself straight. Amen. Because he still has a demand on you what he's called you to do. It's not just for pastors and leaders. It's for each and every one of us. He's, he's called all of us. So we better know what he's, he's asking us to do. Why? Because he doesn't change his mind. He 
doesn't change his mind. He holds us accountable for what he's called us to do. So he's calling them, saying, I know, I know where you're at. I know you've lost your anointing. I'm trying to get it back to you. I'm trying to get it back to you. I'm trying to get you to be refreshing again. I want to pour out a greater anointing on you than you ever had, but you're going to have to get some things right. This story here, church, oh, goodness gracious. This story here, you could call it a story. You could call it a history lesson. I call it a prophetic word. Amen. It's a prophetic word to the church. It's a prophetic word of failed expectations to the church. Just as the church of Laodicea had a failed expectations of cold and hot water coming into their city, Jesus had a failed expectation for what they were desired to do. Yeah, I mean, I know Laodicea, that church, it doesn't exist. Hmm? There's a Muslim in that area. I mean, he was trying to correct things. Why? Because he didn't want the Middle East to turn Muslim. That wasn't his call. He doesn't want these people going to hell. He loves them. Amen. But when they failed, <laughs> it affects more than just us. It fails more than just our, our livelihood. I mean, he gets very specific. He doesn't say that someone's going to spit you out of your mouth. No, he says, I, me, Jesus. I spit you. Not people that look like you, you individually. He says, I spit you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. What does that mean? He says, I love you so much, I'm going to confront you where you're at. I'm going to confront you because I love you. Not taking your salvation, but I'm going to confront you. Why? Because there is a dire issue hmm, that, needs to be, that needs to be completed, needs to be fixed, needs to be healed up to where you can do what you're called to do. He says, you may, have, you may have thought you were born in wealth and everything's grand. You may think you have more knowledge than everyone else, everything's grand. You may, you may be born in revival and you think everything's grand. He says, I used to enjoy coming to you in those days tasting of you but now I've been knocking on the door and you don't even know that I'm not there you don't even know that I'm not there anymore but I'm here coming to confront you why so you'll no longer remain valueless but you'll become medicinal healing and refreshing to the environment around you again you know I wonder how many churches are, are king walks around today and he has these same thoughts. He said, man, you're doing some amazing things, but oh, you're so steeped in religion. You're so steeped in yourself. Everything is about you. Everything's about you and your, and your religious duties. Nothing, nothing's about me anymore. You know, you're doing some of the great things, man. Some of you are even big churches. Amen. But you haven't even recognized I haven't showed up in years in your church. That's a warning, church. <laughs> that's, that's a warning to us. That's a warning to us that, that it doesn't matter. It's not, it doesn't matter about the size of this place. That, that's going to change. Amen. But what can never change, amen, is his presence, is his word that comes in this place. Why? Because that's where his anointing is. His anointing is not something he's given you. It's something, it's him coming upon you. And we get away from him, you're going to get away from everything that he's anointed you to do in the city. And we'll wake up. You maybe have a, a nice car, maybe have a nice house, maybe have a beautiful building, but is he actually in it? Because if he's not in it, church, I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be around it. 
It's all about him. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. See, the thing is, church, when we get into this, this posture, we end up thinking everything's going well. And then Satan begins to get all the blame when things go wrong in our life. It's, oh, it's Satan did this, Satan did that. But listen, if you're carrying everything on your own shoulders, under your own power, your own willpower, listen, he's not the one to blame at all. You're doing it all for him. Hmm? You're, you're doing it all for him. If we don't have him, listen, church, we're, we're, we're in a difficult, difficult position. But thank God we have a shepherd, hallelujah, that doesn't give up on us. We have a shepherd that desires to lead us. But remember, the key is the shepherd leads, and what must you do? You follow. May that, may that be something that rings in our heart from this day until Jesus comes to receive us. He is the shepherd. He leads. He's master. He leads. And we follow. So thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. We glorify you. We honor you, Lord. We, we, we thank you, Lord. You indeed are shepherd. You are pastor. You're the poimena. You're the apostle and the high priest of our faith. You, you are the leader. You are the master of our lives, Lord. May we be people that follow you. May we be able to receive correction from you. May, hallelujah, yes, Lord. May we, may we receive the warnings from you. May we begin to, to look back at church history, look back in the book of Acts, look back and to, and to see how, how the church has acted, things that went wrong, things that went right. Lord, may we learn from our fathers. May we heed the warnings that the Spirit of the Lord has to say. May we not get so focused on us, get focused on our success. But when we stay completely unadulterated, undefiled, hand in hand with our bridegroom in, every, in everything that we do, Lord. Help us yield. Help us yield into these things. Help us yield into your word. Help us yield into your spirit. May we begin to evaluate ourselves. May we get our mouths off of everyone else around us and begin to evaluate ourselves, Lord, to where we can truly, we can indeed follow you in everything that we do. But for we desire to be hot. We desire to be cold. May we never, may we never become a lukewarm church. May we never become a defiled church. May we never become a people that don't recognize when your presence isn't in the room. Keep us refreshing. Keep us healing. Keep us medicinal till we can complete and fulfill the calling that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, we love you, Lord. We adore you. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us, for calling us. May we begin to walk in it, Lord. As, as we exit out of this place, Lord, may these words so seed that produce a harvest in us. May we begin to take a hold of your word, Lord, because we're following you. Lord, and we, we take a hold of Psalms 91. It's not just words that are spoken, Lord. It's our life. That no evil 
will befall us. Neither shall any plague, sickness, disease, COVID, destruction, depression. It has no place among our homes. It has no place among our families. For you give your angels charge of we're protected. We have the leading of the Holy Spirit. We refuse to step in the snare of the adversary. No, 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 no. You lead, Lord, we follow. We think you are protected by any means and modes of transportation we have. We're protected on the seaways, the railways, the airways, the motorways, or even down the walk paths. There isn't a wicked man or the, a wicked plan from the devil himself shall come against us or harm us. Because we are the blessed of God. We're sons, we're daughters, we are the bride. Yet, we are your doulos. We are your bond slaves, and we know you take care of your bride, your servants. We love you, Lord. We honor you. Keep us dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Invite us. May that be a place of dwelling, not a place that we come in and out, but may it be a place of dwelling for each and every one of us so that we can indeed be refreshing into the people we come in contact with. May we not be the sour apples that your church has become, but refreshing and healing to the world around us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the foundations you're laying here. We thank you for each and every one. We walk out of here in faith and love towards you, loving each and every person that you've attached us to. Thank you, Lord, for the ambassadors of Christ. You've called each and every one of us to be thanking you, Lord. Here at Island Church, we are covered by the blood. We are empowered by your word, Lord, and we are anointed. We are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.